I appreciate the good song service this morning. We all probably have certain, certain songs that tend to minister to us and speak to us maybe more than other songs, and uh, y'all had a few of my favorites this morning, so it's always a blessing to feel that feeling of the Spirit when you are singing those songs. This morning, I want to talk to you about some things that have been on my mind over the last couple of weeks, specifically just from some things that I've read, some you know encounters that I've had that have kind of geared my mind towards, towards this particular subject. And the title of this morning's sermon is um, <clears throat> Beware of the Scare. Beware of the Scare. And that, it is not a sermon on Halloween, uh, because as Brother Tim already mentioned, that we're going to have a little get-together at our house um, this Tuesday uh, on Halloween. And I hope you all dress up. You don't have to, as Brother Tim said. But if you do dress up, Brother Jim and, and Ann Brantley usually set the bar pretty high. So... Don't come in halfway doing it because they're they're usually uh, pretty impressive. So uh, this is not a uh, a sermon on Halloween, uh, but beware of the scare is the title of it. Uh, we all have things in this life that uh, kind of strike fear in our hearts. For some folks, it's spiders. For some, it's snakes. For some children, it may be the dark. Um, I know a guy that's uh, deathly terrified of frogs. You know, I mean, we all have, I don't know what that is in our psyche that makes us afraid of uh, some, some, one person be afraid of something and another person not be that afraid of it. Um, but we all have those types of things. And I thought about, um, if you remember the, the cartoon from years ago, a Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, where, you know, Charlie Brown is just always, a, you know, a down on his luck, life is tough, I'm just kind of melancholy. And he just, everybody else seems to be happy and, you know, and he always is struggling and he goes to uh, one of his friends, Lucy, instead of having a lemonade stand, she has a psychology stand <laughs> set up, you know. And um, for a nickel, she'll tell you what your problem is. And so Charlie Brown goes to her and she begins to name off um, certain things like, well, if you're afraid of this, you've got something, 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 something phobia, you know, these long words. Uh, well, he's like, no, not really, or that, or something, 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 phobia. And then she lists, the last thing she lists, and he says, well, what is that? And he says, she says, that's the fear of everything. And he's like, that's it. You know, I'm afraid of everything. But we all have things that strike fear in our hearts. The gospel of Jesus Christ should never be something that strikes fear in our hearts. Do you hear me? If that's all you get out of this, that will be enough. That spiders may scare you, snakes may scare you, the dark may scare you, but the gospel should never be something that strikes fear in the hearts of God's people. Right. Now, the Bible tells us in John the 8th chapter, the Lord says, tells his disciples, he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now, that tells me that, number one, it tells me lying will put you in bondage. Lies put you in bondage. But there's something about the truth that brings freedom to a child of God. Why do you think that uh, the apostles in the book of Acts, why do you think they could take beating after beating after beating and continue to preach the gospel? Is because they had the truth. And they knew that this world was not all there is. And they knew that they were just, uh, you know, just pilgrims traveling through this land. And there was a better country waiting for them. That was a truth that they believed that set them free. Now, if they had not have believed that, 
and they thought this life was all there is, they would have been much more prone to be imprisoned by the threats of men. So truth sets you free. Um, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. So when you feel those uh, you know, those uh, those feelings of fear and dread pop up in you, for example, like maybe tomorrow you've got a day at work that that you're kind of dreading and you're fearful about what may happen or what may go wrong or how a meeting is going to go or a business transaction. That's not from the Lord. Those feelings of fear are not from the Lord. So I thought about um, the gospel is often presented today And I've encountered this multiple times here recently. The gospel is presented in such a way that it strikes fear in the heart of God's people. Now, something is wrong with that. Um, I thought about um, a movie that um, that is called uh, the movie Little Rascals. You remember that was an old TV show and they remade a movie. I don't know, maybe 20, 25 years ago. And. um, in this movie, you've got this gang, this little group of little boys that are probably eight years old. And they're in a club called the He-Man Woman Haters Club. You know, not, not exactly politically correct for today's time. But they're, you know, eight-year-old boys are. And they're in the He-Man Woman Haters Club, and everything about girls is a, is a no-no. And they've got one little boy in there whose name is Alfalfa that just turns head over heels for this little girl in the movie. And he, he tries his best to you know, woo and charm this little girl all the while keeping the He-Man woman haters that he's part of their club uh, blind to what he's doing over here. You know, some of y'all have probably been there. You ever just you know, fallen head over heels for somebody? Well, that's what Alfalfa's dealing with. And so he's torn throughout the movie between his club and this girl, and, and the girl is, is, is just steadily winning him over. And you young men know how that is. You'll eventually leave that club. I'll go and tell you how the story would end for you. You'll eventually leave the He-Man Woman's Haters Club and go to the beautiful young lady. That's the way God designed it. But he has a dream, so he's so torn between uh, these two, and he has a dream one night, and he's standing on the edge of a cliff. And he's sitting there uh, talking to this uh, beautiful young lady that he's interested in. And in the dream, he looks up and the He-Man Woman Hater Club is is coming towards him. Kind of like if you, uh, you know, and they're all kind of mad and angry because they see him over here with this girl. And they come up to him and he's standing on the cliff. And the way that plays out in his dream is the girl kind of backs off and he's got the he's got the he-man woman haters club here and he's got his girl over here and he's standing on the edge of the cliff and they begin to chant to him choose or die choose or die choose or die and the look on his face is not an expression of freedom it is not an expression of joy it is, it is terror. Choose or die. And that is the gospel that is too often presented to God's people. Now, when you look at the face of this young man 
as he stands there and the news, the message comes to him, comes to him to choose or die, he is not being set free. He's being put into bondage. The very definition of the gospel is good news. Now, when they come to this young man and they corner him and they say, you've got to choose. And if, if you don't make the right choice, you're going to die. That's not good news to him. It terrifies him and it scares him to death. Now, the Bible says this, the unregenerate person, <clears throat> the unregenerate person, the person that's never been born again, you will never, ever be able to scare them with the gospel. Do you hear me? You cannot scare the unregenerate person with the gospel because the Bible says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. Now, let me ask you this. If somebody busted in this side door right now, sweaty, panicked, and you can tell they've been running for their life. And they said, y'all have got to find somewhere to go. Godzilla is coming down 82. How many of you would be afraid? No, none of you. Why? Because we don't believe it. We consider that foolishness. And it does not strike fear in our hearts. It's no different when you go to an unregenerate man and say, Jesus Christ is coming. He's coming back for his people. And the only people he's going to take with him are the ones that chose him. And the ones that didn't, he's going to burn in hell. That doesn't scare them in the least. It's no different than Godzilla coming down the street for us. Because the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But the Bible says unto us which are saved. Now, there's a side note there on you better make real sure you understand what version of the Bible you're reading and how it came to be. Because there are versions of the Bible that says that unto us which are being saved as it is an ongoing process. But I've studied it out and I believe that the 1611 King James Version of the Bible is the most sufficient and it says to those of us which are saved. It is the power of God. Now, when I can remember being a, a back years ago, I can remember being at a uh, a little, I don't know what you'd call it. it. It wasn't a play. I guess it was. I guess it was kind of a play. It was a. I don't know. There's probably a word for it. And these people put this play together, um, and it was about heaven or hell. And in throughout the play, uh, you know, the 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 whole congregation was dark, and and the lights were up on the stage. And throughout the play, you would have, uh, you know, different people uh, playing different scenarios, and you would have. A picture of them having the opportunity to uh, choose Christ, accept Christ as they would say it, and when they didn't, they would have these people run out of the sides dressed in black with these just hideous looking masks, and they would just run out there and grab them and drag them as the people you know were screaming, and they would just drag them off, and they had a, a, a thing set up that looked like fire, and they would just drag them off into there. Like, choose or die. Choose or die. 
And then they'd have one that if, if, if they made the right decisions, one day they died and they had the Lord come out and stand before them. And I remember when the Lord stood before them and as they, it was a picture of them entering to heaven, they, the Lord stopped them. And then he, he brought out all of their friends and family that had gone on before him to be there to greet this person. It was, it was a beautiful picture in that sense. But you know what that's called? That's a scare tactic. That is, you know, remember, beware of the scare. That's a scare tactic. Now, let me ask you this. And, and, and I believe this for a long time, so I, I can speak to it. When have you ever done something out of when, when somebody threatened you and, and their threats generated an action in you for you to do something? When was that action ever really genuine? Think about this. If you're out and about and somebody throws your car door open and sticks a gun to your head and says, give me all your money. Do you give them all your money? Yeah, you do. But was it genuine? Or did you do it out of fear? You did it out of fear. When we're threatened with something that generates fear inside of us, our response to that is usually not genuine. It's done out of what? Self-preservation. Now, when the gospel is presented in such a way that it generates fear that if I don't do this, then I'm going to be the one that is drug off into the pits of hell. Number one, don't forget. Don't forget this. The demons hate hell just as much as anybody else. The devil hates hell just as much as anybody else because it is prepared for them. It's their punishment as well. But when the gospel generates the fear inside of you, brothers and sisters, that's not the gospel. It may be not one single amen. When the gospel presented generates fear inside of you, that is not the gospel. It's important that we understand these things because it's everywhere out there. Young kids, someday somebody's going to take you somewhere and show you something and say, if you don't choose or die, you're going to go to hell. Brothers and sisters, that's not a gospel that sets men free. The good news of the gospel is if it is presented in a way that is biblical, it should only ever set men free. Now listen, if we're going to use scare tactics, let's use some scare tactics about, uh, you know, what happens if you go out and live your life as a drunkard. Let's look at Samson. Okay, let's look at Samson and try to scare somebody on the end result of having a lustful heart. I might could get on board with that. If we're going to scare people, let's scare them about the consequences of things on this side of heaven. Now, who is the Bible written to? In 2 Timothy, the third chapter, notice this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. My question to you is this. Based on that verse, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For who? For that man of God or woman of God. 
You can't take those verses. You can squeeze them with a pair of vice grips and you can't squeeze out anything that looks like an invitation to the unregenerate. Every single verse, every single word in God's book is given to the man of God. Now, I want to look at just a few examples here this morning. If I, if I haven't done a good enough job of trying to show you through the scriptures that the gospel is simply good news. And it's a news that sets people free. And again, I've used this, I've used this analogy before. <clears throat> if, if a young man comes up to a woman, two single people, and says to them, I love you. I love you with a love greater than any love that you can ever imagine. And if you will love me back, I will bestow on you things that, that are beyond comprehension. But if you don't love me back, I'm going to set you on fire. Now we chuckle, but is that not how Jesus Christ is presented? If that young woman happens to be your daughter and she comes home and gives you that news, is that household set free? Is that household have good news? No. We start calling the police. We're terrified of this young man. Brothers and sisters, that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel is good news. And if that is not sufficient... Look at Jesus Christ's interactions himself. How did he handle people? Let's look for a second at John, um, the eighth chapter. And I want you to compare this. Compare this interaction maybe with some modern day evangelism. In John, the eighth chapter, I'll start in verse 42. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. There's a lot of preaching in that one, but I'm going I'm to keep going. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil. Now listen, these two examples I'm going to give you. Let me pause. These two examples that I'm going to give you, as far as I can tell are very clear pictures of Jesus Christ speaking to unregenerate people. Based on what he says, it is a picture of I, Jesus Christ, am talking to people in the world and that in the world's eyes need to choose or die. Jesus says to them, ye are of your father the devil. That's pretty clear. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? Notice what he says here. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Does anybody take issue with me when I say he's talking to unregenerate people? He just said, ye are not of God. Okay, Jesus, 
The, the stage is set, my friend. <clears throat> here we go. You've got unregenerate people here. What tactic are you going to use to get them to choose you? Well, I think I'll scare them to death. I think I will open up the floor and let them look down into hell. I will let them see suffering like they've never seen it before and torture like they've never seen it before, as the, as the Bible says, where the worm never dies. I'm going to scare them to death. Did he do that? See, scaring people into choosing him was not a tactic of the Lord. Now, let's go over to John the 10th chapter. In <clears throat> John the 10th chapter, in verse 11, Jesus says this, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And then, and then uh, 15 verses later, he says, But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, I am the good shepherd, and I give my life for the sheep, and you are not my sheep. Pretty clear that these are unregenerate people, right? What tactic does the Lord use to get them to be a sheep? No tactic. Nothing. None. He doesn't scare them into trying to get them to follow Him. If Jesus didn't do it, why do we do it? It's because we've got a perverted view of what the gospel is. The gospel is good news that sets men free. You say, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is if the, we didn't have the gospel... If we had no record of what the Lord had done and what we were and how he had delivered us from our sins and we just went through this life watching people die and we wondered where they went, that, that's bondage. That's fear. But the Lord said, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them who I am and what they are and what I've done and where their home is going to be. Based on what I've done, not based on what they did. If it was based on what they did, I would have tried to scare these people into doing something. But he says, I'm not that way because the gospel is good news. The gospel is not good news, bad news. You see, you don't, the gospel is not good news. You can be saved, but you may not go to hell. That's good news, bad news. This is good news. And somewhere this morning, somewhere on this planet, there are people <clears throat> that have the spirit of God inside of their hearts that are broken over the things that they've done wrong, that maybe have never even heard the name Jesus, but are sorrowful over the things that they do, that the, 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 the law of God written in their heart pricks them about it, and they're fearful of something that, that they, they're going to be punished by some, uh, you know, as the Indian said, the great spirit or something out there. You know what they need to be set free from those bondages? They need the gospel. This says, let me tell you why you feel the way you feel. Let me tell you why you're pricked in your heart over the evil things that you've done in your life. It's because the spirit of God dwells in you and he won't have that for you. And he convicts you of those things. That is good news. And it's a much better gospel than telling somebody, if you don't choose, you're going to die and go to hell. Now, <clears throat> That's what the gospel is. So beware of the scare. Beware when people try to use fear to get you to accept Jesus. That is not the gospel. And I'll leave you with this. Paul wrote the church of Galatians. He said, if I 
or an angel from heaven present to you any other gospel than what I have presented to you, it says, let him be accursed. Now, listen, I've tried to scare people into it before. I've been there. I've, I'm guilty of that. I was sincere and I was just doing the best I could with what I knew. But listen, we know now that that's not the case. When you see the, the play that says heaven gates and hell's flames, pray over that. Pray for those people because most likely they're just teaching what they've been taught. And they're sincere about it. But they're presenting a gospel that Jesus Christ or his apostles never presented. The gospel is good news. And I'm here to tell you this morning, every single one of us fall short of the glory of God. And every one of our righteousness is as filthy rags before, before the Lord. And there is not enough in me without the Lord that I would ever want him. He would just be Godzilla coming down 82 to me. But he did something for his people. And he put his spirit inside of our hearts. And that spirit can feel for him. And it yearns for him. It longs for him. It wants to please him. It's broken when it, when it knows it's disappointed him. That is a wonderful creature to be made. And he made us that. And he set our destination to be with him. And he adopted us as sons. And he did that all, as the Bible says, when we were enemies before the foundation of the world. That ought to be comforting to you. I don't like preaching sermons where I've got to say this thing that that person's saying is not right. I don't like those types of sermons. I want it to be, let's all get along, but here's the truth of it. No prophet or apostle that ever came through, no preacher in the Bible ever had that liberty to not have to do that because there are false teachings out there that lead us astray and want to confuse us and want to scare us. And I would not be a minister of the gospel worth my salt if I didn't say, I love those children of God. I love them and I would jump in front of a train for them. But they're not presenting the true gospel. And I hope one day that they'll see that. I saw it. If you'd asked me 20 years ago to be one of the demons coming out, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's get them there. But I saw something different one day. And I praise God for it. I hope that's been profitable. Please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.